Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I share my recent presentation at the online summit with Robert Kiyosaki, where I talk about employee engagement, motivation, and virtual work in the post-COVID world. Okay, so John will be talking about how to engage and motivate an increasingly virtual workforce in the post-COVID-19 world. So John, I've been waiting for this presentation for (laughs) quite a while now, and I'm so excited. Thanks for being here. Take it away. Thank you so much. I'm so uh, excited to be here in It's been such a fun event uh, up to this point. And like you mentioned, I'll be shifting gears a bit um, instead of talking about finance and real estate and topics uh, in that uh, element, I'm going to be talking about workplace elements. Let me share my screen. Can everyone see that all right? Yes, thank you. Okay. So the topic today that I want to explore with all of you is engaging and motivating an increasingly virtual workforce in a post-COVID-19 world. Uh, Given the uh, situation we're in currently, it's a little bit different than any of us have ever experienced before. And I am suggesting that things will be very different coming back to work uh, after the pandemic. And so I want to walk through what that can look like for organizations, what some of the changes might be, and how we can uh, approach that as we move forward. First, just a little bit about me. I'm managing partner and principal at Human Capital Innovations, and I have 20 years of experience as an OD, HR, and leadership consultant, helping organizations across the world to transform their cultures, their systems, their processes, to to be more people-centric organizations. And that's really gonna be at the core of what I talk about today. But I'm also, I'm a scholar practitioner. So in addition to the consulting work that I do, I'm also an academic. Uh, I'm a professor and department chair of organizational leadership and academic director of the Center for Social Impact. I believe very strongly in driving organizations with a positive social impact um, that gives back to their communities. I'm also a faculty fellow for ethics in public life in the Center for the Study of Ethics at my home university. Uh, So I wear many hats, I have multiple roles, and I really love that about my work. I try to look at complex problems in organizations from an interdisciplinary and a multidisciplinary lens to try to understand complex problems, their nuances, and how to best approach them. So let me give you a quick overview of what I hope to accomplish over the next 20 minutes as we talk together. 
with, techno with technological advancements, it was already likely that we would see a continued shift towards more flexible and mobile virtual work in the coming decade. However, due to the impact of COVID-19, there appears to be an acceleration towards this shift. How does the shifting nature of work influence needed leadership and professional competencies? How do we engage and motivate an increasingly virtual workforce? Uh, regardless of what the future holds, these are the types of questions leaders need to be asking and the discussions we need to be having right now so that we're prepared for the future of work. So as I go through the presentation today, I hope that you will consider your own organizations that you lead and manage. Think about the teams of people that you interact with and think about what's going well now, what's not working well now, and what types of things you might need to try to tweak and adjust moving into the future post-pandemic world. And hopefully throughout this presentation, you'll get some ideas of things to, to keep in mind and, and hopefully things that will be on your radar. Uh, in the coming minutes, I'll discuss the importance of a people-centered organization as a foundation to everything else I talk about. I'll talk about the changing trajectories of work, COVID-19's global impact on work and economies, technological innovations influencing shifting work conditions, the future of work in a post-pandemic world, and questions for organizational leaders that they should be considering as they're trying to address these challenges. So let me start with um, the importance of having a people-centered organization. And I believe strongly in the human capital perspective. We talk a lot about financial capital, we talk about uh, other forms of capital, plant equipment, property, intellectual capital, and organizations go to great length to protect their capital, to invest in their capital, to maintain their capital. And I would argue our people are among the most important assets that any organization has at its disposal. It's the people that do the, that the creativity comes from, that do the innovating, that create the products and services and interface with the consumers and the customer's uh, relationship with the organization happens through the people. And so if we want successful organizations that are profitable, we need to have organizations that have a people-centered culture, that have a value proposition for both the, their internal people and the consumers where everyone uh, feels that their needs are met, and that they have the opportunity to excel and to thrive in what they do. Uh, human capital is that amalgamation of all the training, experience, judgment, intelligence, relationships, insight, positive, and all of these elements together um, are what create kind of this intangible asset that organizations have at its disposal. And when you have a truly engaged and motivated and inspired uh, workforce, great things can happen. Uh, HR and people management, it's all about the organizational policies, practices, and systems that influence employees, their behavior, their attitudes, and their performance. And those elements uh, interact with each other. So it's not just behavior driving attitudes driving performance, it's performance driving behavior, it's performance driving attitudes, it's attitudes driving behavior, and so forth. Think about it as a Venn diagram with overlapping and interconnected elements. Uh, and it's complicated. Anything dealing with people is complicated. So structuring an organization effectively, managing people effectively, uh, is not for the faint of heart. It's not easy to do well. And many organizations uh, simply don't do it very well in the best of circumstances, let alone when we're in a crisis like this and trying to deal with global pandemic. Uh, lots and lots of research has shown that 
when employees and customers are more satisfied, engaged uh, in their work, they're more inspired, they're more creative, and companies then tend to be more innovative, they have greater productivity, and they're more profitable, which is what we all really want. In this diagram, you can see some of these types of relationships, and this is just a small subset of the benefits that can come from a people-centric, high-performance work system. Uh, think for a minute about creating meaning within the workplace. If you can create a meaningful job, if you can create meaningful work, interesting work, jobs that people are excited to get up for in the morning, when that occurs, that drives higher levels of customer, excuse me, of worker satisfaction, higher levels of worker engagement and motivation. That then leads to lower absenteeism, lower turnover costs, which overall lowers the company's costs and increases profits. It also impacts customer satisfaction, customer retention, customer loyalty. So when you have satisfied and engaged workers, you have satisfied customers. That leads to higher sales, that leads to higher profits. On the bottom of the diagram, you see that when we have a people-centric organization, when we have an organizational culture established that uh, helps everyone feel that their input is valued, that creates a knowledge-sharing environment. Knowledge-sharing then increases innovation, creates greater productivity, that leads to higher quality, more satisfied customers, higher sales, higher profits. So, and, and I could go into many, many more of these similar types of relationships. Every arrow that you see in this diagram is supported by reams and reams of research, both from industry and from academia. Uh, very strong ties between all of these elements, and there's no question about it. A people-centric, high-performance work system drives successful organizations. And so that's what we need to try to do in the best of circumstances. It's even harder to do when we're in a global pandemic. So let's talk for just a minute about the last 50 years versus the next 50 years and the trajectories of work. And, and COVID is, is right in the middle. We're at, right at this inflection point where things could go a lot of different ways. In the last 50 years, um, we've seen tremendous shifts in the global economy. A much, we're a much more interconnected, globalized world, um, international supply chains. We've seen tremendous uh, shifts in the sectoral composition, composition of economies. So take for the U.S., for example. In the U.S., uh, 50 years ago, we were predominantly an industrial sector economy with a strong service sector and a really strong agricultural sector. Now, our service sector, um, dominated by financial services, the service sector is over 80% of our overall economy in the US, uh, with, with the next largest being industrial, and agriculture is a really small proportion. So think about the types of jobs that people had 50 years ago, or even two or three decades ago, compared to the average type of job that workers have today, and it's tremendously different. Uh, the types of work that they do, the types of tasks, the types of skill sets needed to perform those tasks, um, are all shifting and changing. Um, now, of course, we still have industrial workers, we still have plants and factories, and there are still people in those types of jobs, but largely, we've seen the vast majority of workers shift to other types of work. And so, how to lead those people has shifted and changed, how to motivate and engage them has changed, and it will continue to change as we move into the future. Now, I don't have a crystal ball, just like no one else has a crystal ball. I can't tell you what it's gonna be like in the next 50 years, but I do know the trends in the past 50 years, and that can inform how things might be going in the next 50 years. Thinking particularly about COVID-19, um, we've been 
driven into this situation where we're forced to either close shop because of social distancing restrictions and guidelines, or we move to a more virtual type of environment. Uh, so many workers have either lost jobs, 40 million plus in the US over the last um, month or two have gone on unemployment. Um, people have either lost jobs or they're largely working from home. They're doing virtual work and they're utilizing technology technologies to do that virtual work and to collaborate with their coworkers from other places locally, but also internationally. And I've seen that in my own work as I've uh, been trying to navigate things the last two and a half months. One of the things that we're gonna see in the next 50 years for sure is a movement away, well, let, let me rephrase. We're going to see a huge impact from, or up from the technology uh, developments uh, in, throughout the world. So the impact of technology on business leadership is also going to shift. We have tremendous technological disruption. Uh, many management experts, um, executives from across the world and academics and researchers are pretty much in agreement that in the coming decades, we're gonna see some of these following elements that I wanted to share with you. We're gonna see a movement from a, lin a more linear type of setup um, and hierarchical organizational structure to a more latticed, matrixed, and connected framework where people are doing all activities at all times. Um, we're not going to be so siloed. We're going to be uh, leaders need to think of themselves as challengers. They need to assume challenge and disruption within their industry and within their workplace. And there's going to be a challenge of converging markets uh, globally, which is going to be a huge strategic challenge for organizations. There's going to be a push towards a reskilling agenda within companies to create value. And they're going to have to look towards ways to encourage lifelong learning and to upskill and to reskill their current employees because they won't always have uh, the ability to attract new people with the expertise that they'll need uh, because of a tight labor market. Now, right now, the labor market may not be quite so tight because of COVID-19, um, but at least in the U.S., we were at, at record low unemployment levels prior to the COVID pandemic. Uh, and so it's a huge challenge for organizations to get the skills that they need. There's going to be, there's a huge skills gap already, and that will continue to develop. Uh, there's going to be huge displacement of jobs. So PricewaterhouseCooper had a, a recent report where they projected that 40% of all jobs today will be replaced or displaced in the next 15 years. And that might seem a bit scary. Let me just tell you, this 40% that they predict, that's on the low end of the, of the prediction. There are other industry reports that predict up to 80%. Um, however you slice it, there's gonna be a tremendous shift in the types of jobs that people are doing in the coming decades. Particularly low-skilled and financial service sector jobs, there's gonna be a huge um, displacement um, based on AI, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. There's going to be a huge hunt for talent in robotic and automated economies, um, and all companies are going to have to think of themselves as tech companies. Every company is going to have to have dig digital literacy, and they're going to have to know how to engage with the technology to connect with their consumers. Companies are going to have to even more fully embrace diversity and inclusivity and create an inclusive culture. That's, a, that's always been important. And over the last decade, we've seen huge organizations take huge strides in that direction. But it's going to be even more important. Think about how the barriers are breaking down when we have these opportunities connect via Zoom and other technologies. 
um, I can connect with all of you from my bedroom right now um, without traveling, without any of the time or expense of travel. Uh, I've actually personally found that I've done more international collaborations and work since COVID started than I did before. And that's not because this technology didn't exist before, but it's because now I've been forced to use it and I've become more comfortable with it. And as I've gone, gotten more comfortable with it and other people have gotten more comfortable with it, we've utilized it more. And I don't have the option of jumping on a plane and flying to Europe to meet with somebody. So we do a Zoom meeting or whatever. Um, now, in-person still has its benefits, but there's a lot of benefits to virtual work and virtual collaborations and meetings like this. Uh, so we have to think about that. And the need for diversity and the ability to leverage diversity is going to be increasingly important when we have these abilities, when we have even fewer barriers to connect with people from different backgrounds, different perspectives, different worldviews and whatnot. There's going to be shifting company responsibilities, not just the bottom line anymore. It's not just about profits, so that's always going to be important. Uh, but it's about the triple bottom line. It's about corporate social responsibility. Uh, that's going to be key. And customers want to see that the organizations that uh, they patronize are going to, are, are good actors in their communities. And of course, there's gonna be continued shifting geopolitical landscapes, the rise of China, India, the global South. These are all things we have to take very, very seriously as we move forward uh, and we can't take for granted. So what are some of these um, types of technological innovations shifting work conditions? Uh, we could spend a really long time just on this slide and just talking about these types of uh, disruptive innovations and technological innovations. We don't have the time for that today, so I'm going to run through these rather quickly. But think about which of these are already influencing your workplace and what it means for how you engage with your employees and what you might have to do differently moving into the future. Now, certainly robotics. We've seen that over the last 50 years. Um, that robotics have already displaced many workers, uh, but that's only going to continue and robotics are becoming more uh, advanced and can do more and more. Electric cars and self-driving cars. Think about how that will disrupt many different industries, travel industries, distribution, uh, supply chains, the trucking industry, the types of jobs that are currently needed in those industries and how that will shift when we have robots or we have self-driving cars that can handle that on their own. Uh, things like pharmacogenetics, which is a hugely fascinating topic that we can't get into, but basically that has the promise of transforming the way we get medicine that's tailored just to us and how pharmacies work and how pharmaceutical companies work and how they can tailor medications to us. Quantum entanglement and the ability to communicate instantly across the world without any sort of connection point. Um, another fascinating topic, 3D printing, virtual presence, blockchain, auto translation, augmented reality, retail without people, artificial intelligence and machine learning, like I've already mentioned. There are so many uh, different types of technological innovations that have already started to shift the nature of work and that's only going to continue. So I argue that much of what will need to happen is as we try to attract and retain, motivate and engage, um, a talented workforce is to embrace diversity in the post-COVID world. And it's not just the obvious diversity. It's not just gender, race, ethnicity. It's the less obvious things that you see in the diversity wheel here. Religion and belief, social class, sexual orientation, 
uh, and the even um, less noticeable um, types of diversity uh, in terms of health, income, expertise, organizational role, and so forth. When we talk about diversity, we're not just talking about how someone looks. We're not even just talking about how someone acts. We're talking about how someone thinks and how we can leverage differences in thinking and perspective and worldview to better inform uh, the innovations and collaborations that happen within our organizations. Um, Frog in a well is a proverb uh, that I love uh, that's based on Buddhist and Confucius teachings. Uh, it's similar to Plato's allegory of the cave and meaning if you're familiar with that. But in a nutshell, what it means is uh, if we're a frog stuck at the bottom of a well, we have a very limited worldview. We can't, we don't know everything that's going on in the world around us. And it's only as we rise out of the well that we have the opportunity to broaden our perspective, to open our aperture of understanding, and that we can then start to embrace the various uh, uh, value and information that others have to offer to us. Organizations have to learn how to do that better. Managers and leaders need to learn how to do that better with their people if we wanna be successful and have a competitive advantage in the future of work. Some of the types of skills that are gonna be essential um, you can see drivers of the shifts um, on the outer edge. So things like superstructured organizations, an increasingly computational world, um, new media ecology, the rise of smart machines and systems, global connect, interconnectivity. All these things are driving um, the types of transferable skill sets that workers need to have. None of these skill sets you'll see, none of these are specifically related to particular expertise within a field, but these are all um, kind of these soft skills that people need so that they can embrace the complexity and deal with all of the challenges that, that will be faced in organizations, including cognitive load management, virtual collaboration skills, new media literacy, cross-cultural uh, competency, novel and adaptive thinking, sense-making, design mindset, transdisciplinarity and interdisciplinarity are all so essential as we move forward. And I think of it in terms of breaking down the silos. How can we break free of the functional silos to drive organizational innovation in a post-COVID world? We're so used to our, our organizational functional silos. We got our operations department, our HR department, marketing, um, finance, and so on. Um, each kind of doing their own thing and they get together every now and then when they have to work on a project, but largely doing their own thing. And it's only when you get to the C-suite that you're able to, um, that you're able to work more closely together. We need to break down those silos and we need to work more effectively collectively uh, so that we can accomplish great things. So leaders need to be considering a lot of important questions as they are uh, moving into the future of work and trying to understand how to engage and motivate employees and the types of skills and capabilities and competencies that they need. What are the core competencies of organizations that are prepared for these technological disruptions? What does this mean for organizational budgets and technical footprints? Whose role is it in corporations and governments to be the futurist? What are the new professional competencies of the future virtual worker? How quickly can organizations recruit pivotal roles that were not previously in the company or maybe didn't even ever previously exist? Should new employee skills, competencies, and capabilities be built? Should they be borrowed or should they be bought? How can organizations provide balanced risk management and a heightened pace of change? And we could come up with many, many more questions. Now, again, in time, I believe all of these types of transitions and transformations would be happening in the coming decades. But now that we are in this COVID world where work 
primarily has to be done virtually, we are forced into a situation where we have to, organizations have to figure out how to lead people virtually. They have to figure out how to um, manage processes and create policies that, that accommodate virtual work. And all of this is new territory for most organizations. Um, and it's an incredibly exciting time because there's so many um, best practices that can happen. And as we continue to move forward, we'll be able to experiment with new things and find new uh, possibilities for organizations. Now, as I close up, uh, I want to just offer to everyone a free 30-minute uh, coaching consulting session uh, for organizational leaders. Uh, I view this as my pandemic response, preparing for a virtual workforce. There are so many considerations that we need to take into account right now. Um, it's not just about making sure we keep the doors open today. That's important, of course, and that's a huge challenge for organizational leaders, but we need to be thinking about what we're doing today, how that impacts employee engagement, motivation, and morale, and what that will mean for us as we come out of this pandemic, because employees will not forget. They will not forget how they were treated. They will not forget um, what their organizations did. And once we get back to a situation where we have a hyper-competitive um, labor market, we could lose our best talent if we don't manage things well now and if we're not prepared to lead and manage things well in the future. So with that, uh, I really appreciate your attention and I open it for questions. Uh, thank you so much, John. It's been so, so uh, eye-opening and a little bit of scary, honestly. <laughs> uh, there are a couple of questions in the chat box. Why don't you take them very briefly uh, very briefly. So there is one from Heinrich. Um, he's asking, what's your take on the hospitality and tourism mm. sector post-COVID as this seems to be one of the industries that's opening last regarding levels of opening up the economy in South Africa where I'm from and across the globe. Uh, so what do you think, John? Great, great question. It's one of the hardest hit industries uh, because you can't virtually run a hotel. Um, and so I think, I think it will bounce back. Um, I'm actually doing some research on the hospitality industry right now. And everything that I've seen up to this point is that people are very optimistic about it bouncing back pretty robustly once the threat of COVID um, dissipates, once we have a vaccine or once, once we kind of get past this. Um, but what, what will remain, at least for the near future, even once we're past COVID, is, is a heightened um, public awareness of infection and disease. And, and so hotels are going to have to, just like other businesses that are currently open, hotels are gonna have to, and all hospitality uh, industry type organizations, they're gonna have to take special precaution and demonstrate and communicate with their customers how they're gonna protect their health and how they're gonna keep things clean and such. Uh, otherwise, uh, they're gonna face uh, worse long-term uh, ramifications. Okay, awesome. Very well done. Thank you so much, John. Very insightful. Uh, it gives us food for thought, honestly. And folks, I know you have other questions as well, as we can all see in the, in the uh, chat box. Please reach out to John, john.westover at gmail.com. Thank you again, John. Any departing thoughts very briefly? No, I, other than the future of work is promising and it's exciting and we will get through this pandemic. And once we do, I think we'll be better and stronger for everything that we've learned through this difficult time. Absolutely, indeed. So why don't you put your information in the chat box for that?
Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.